is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For this episode, I chat with Mo Rocca, and we cover it all, from mobituaries to fairy cakes and a constant current theme of stick to which I think really comes through in this episode. So I hope you enjoy part one of my conversation with Mo Rocca. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe, and today with me on Zoom is Mo Rocca. Mo, this is going to be such a great conversation. I want to talk about CBS Sunday Morning, The Tonight Show, you being an author, a producer, of course, Fairy Cakes. But before we get to all that, what were your entertainment dreams growing up? My entertainment dream was to be on Broadway. I I would uh, buy cast albums. I got them on cassette tape at first until my best friend Mario convinced me that vinyl was better because especially if it was a double album, you could open it up and there'd be pictures inside. So actually when when my parents for Christmas got me the Cats double cassette, I then brought it back to the record store and I exchanged it for the double record. And I think I might've told a white lie. I think I might've said, oh, it was damaged or something. And I felt really guilty about it, but I really wanted the vinyl instead. But anyway, I still have many of those cast albums in in my apartment here in New York. Uh, And, um, and I, yeah, I was, I, I was pretty obsessed with Broadway. Was that, was Cats for you, that defining moment, that decision? You know, it's, um, it was one of the shows I obsessed about, and I'm not embarrassed about that at all, although I shouldn't even have to issue that disclaimer. But, you know, a, a, a friend of mine, Lisa Bernbach, a great, terrific writer, journalist, she did a piece about Cats when it was revived on Broadway, and she talked to super fans. This was a few years ago, a few years before the, the movie. Hmm. And, um, And she told me, this didn't make its way into the article. It was her own theory. She said, I have a theory that there's sort of a first love kind of thing that happens in adolescence, actually, just like you have a first love of a person. Hmm. There's a first love of a Broadway musical. And it's often just based on timing about that age you're at. And so I thought I I thought about that. and, And I think it's true that if I were a couple of years younger than my cats might've been the mystery of Edwin Drood. I mean, it might've write something that, sure. that was a hit like a few years later. Um, so I think a lot of it was about the timing, mm. but I also, my, uh, my father, I had older parents, which I always loved mm. having. Um, and my mother is still with us, which is, which is really wonderful. And, uh, um, and my father's sensibilities were a lot older. So the first for the, the first cast albums I got, I think Oklahoma, it was the movie soundtrack. And I knew enough then to know, ooh, you want the original Broadway cast. You don't want the movie soundtrack. But I wasn't going to be a total brat about it. (laughs) So I took that with Shirley Jones and Gordon McRae and listened to it over and over again. And Evita was the other one. So those Mm. were the two um, that I got at first. But no, so I I pretty early on had a taste for, for the older classics as well. What did your parents teach you about work ethic? Um, well, I think by, excuse me, by example, um, they taught me that it was important. I mean, the, the, the most influential thing when it came to work ethic, um, and creativity, I think in, in the arts was my father very late in life took up the trumpet. He had played it as a boy 
and then dropped it because life interfered, getting married, having kids, starting a small business. Sure. But he he longed to play it again. And so my mother in 1975 went to a pawn shop, got him a trumpet. And he, in his late 40s, close to 50, began every single day, a half an hour in the morning in the cellar, doing scales and exercises and working on his embouchure, a word that I learned to spell very early because it was, he had a, a thing up on the wall, um, kind of a, a, a detailed program for how to improve your embouchure. And then at night when he'd get home from work, he went back into the cellar and for an hour played Dixieland jazz as I roller skated around the cement floor while he played When the Saints Go Marching In and Basin Street Blues. But his dedication to it was so complete. And I remember once he was driving me, he dro drove me back from a dance class, a jazz dance class I took when I think it was I was in seventh grade. Mm. And he had his jam session that night. I'm going to play with some buddies of his about a 30 minute drive away in Maryland. And my mother, he was dropping me off and getting ready to drive on to his jam session. My mother walked out of the front door and she said that his army buddy, a guy named Dick Durfee, a lifelong friend of his, had dropped dead in Illinois. And I remember my father bowing his head. He was very sad and then saying, I have to go to the jam session because he couldn't let these friends down. Mm. And that really imprinted itself on me. Um, and in, in, in that, I mean, it may sound hokey, but the show must go on. But this idea that you really have to dedicate yourself. So that was really made a big impact on me. What was this journey to studying literature at Harvard? Is that that's true? What was that decision? Well, um, I, it wasn't a gut decision because I don't know how many gut decisions people make as kids. <laughs> and I'm very fortunate to have gotten into Harvard and to have had parents that worked hard to send me there. Hmm. Um, but I had, you know, I had read and my my father told me this as well, you know, that if you want a career in acting, which is what I wanted at that point, then it was it would be better to have life experience and be well rounded. Mm -hmm. I, but, but I thought my gut at that point was it, it was telling me, oh, I should, you know, go to conservatory. I auditioned for Juilliard. I didn't get in. Um but I'm not even sure how much I wanted that. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, it sounds a little wishy-washy and passive, but I got into Harvard and, and I went. And, uh, and, but I immediately gravitated towards theater. And mm -hmm. um, at Harvard, they have a kind of a legendary college theater troupe. I think it's the, it's the oldest one in America, continuously operating, called The Hasty Pudding Show, which until recently was an all-male drag show. Um, and it's sort of through the years... It's, you know, for stretches been kind of schlocky, like kind of jock, sort of the joke being kind of simple and, hmm. you know, kind of crude and whatever, like, oh, here's this football player in a dress. But then at other times, it was people that really wanted careers in showbiz. And I happened to be there at a time when sort of the more talented people at the at the college were were drawn to it. So hmm. 
it was I, I was it was it was a, a hell of a lot of fun. Um, and so I was in it for all four years. I mean, it might as well have been my major in college because I really dedicated myself to it. I co-wrote it one year. Um, the, the show is an original musical. And then I was president my senior year, which was really, really fun and a great honor. The now after right after post university, uh, there's a stage performing for you and then there's a move into more like TV. But what was this writing where you had been writing through college? So you knew that would be something you'd be interested in post writing. Producing? I knew that. Yeah, I knew that I that much of the time, not all the time, I got joy from writing, especially if it wasn't an actual assignment. Sure. Um, and I was that way as a kid as well um you know creative writing um when i got out of college after kind of a wacky so you know um uh digression sojourn to japan to study kabuki which was its own thing i came back you know to the u.s and i got a couple of table jobs waiting tables to earn money to move to new york Mm. to kind of start pounding the pavement and auditioning as an actor i had a dear friend who is one of these people he's very type A, and I say that very affectionately, but said like, no, you're 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 not some you're going to waste your talent if you just stand in line for non-union and eventually hopefully equity union auditions. That's not what you should be doing. You're going to need to write your way. And it was the kind of thing where I knew that he was right. I didn't want to hear it because it's just a lot more work. <laughs> and so um, so for a couple of years, I did sort of do the picking up backstage when it was an actual paper magazine. Yeah. And I have really fond memories of sometimes to save money, um, walking to equity from from my apartment on 80th and 2nd down to, I guess, 46th Street to stand in line, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, to sign up for as a non-union actor. Um, for musicals being cast for all over the place, generally not New York. I still remember even some of the names. It's almost like you feel like you're a class, like almost like a, a like an incoming class. So I still remember when they would, you know, call the names for people to come in for callbacks. And one name I remember, and he's made quite a career for himself. I think is they would say Hugh High Sal. I still remember that name. And I and uh, and and there were several names and of the people, you know, and you go and you do your your up tempo and your ballad. Um, and and I had some success, um, you know, the the sort of my my peak of, in that period was getting cast in at Paper Mill Playhouse in a production of South Pacific, which is a, where uh, where our Emile Debeck was Ron Rains, who is a friend and was so wonderful. Um, but then at that point, um, very close friends of mine, um, one of them uh, created uh, two sisters, one of them. Um, became part of the development team in creating the TV show Wishbone, a PBS kids mm-hmm. show. And I'd say a very good one. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, uh, won a bunch of awards about a Jack Russell Terrier, a dog that in his fantasy life becomes the heroes of classic novels. And, um, and she um, hired me to move down to Dallas, Texas to write and do some producing for it, but primarily as a writer for it. Uh, and, you know, I kind of knew in that I had to leave my comfort zone of temp jobs and generally non-union theater. As, mm. as fun as that period was, that to really grow and stretch, I needed to move to the suburbs of Dallas, Texas and and write for this TV show. And it was really formative. It's, it's really not college. It's really there in 
Plano, Texas, working on Wishbone, where I learned where I really got my storytelling chops. Yeah. Are there any particular standout lessons from that time uh, in terms of storytelling? Um, y- yes. Uh, there's a lot. <laughs> because it was a kid. Yes. Because of the, it was a kid's show yeah. and kids do not um, – writing for kids' television is a, is a, is really a great exercise. It was really formative mm. because it has to be constantly dynamic. You can't just have characters filling time, just BSing, just talking and or just being clever. Mm. It has to move. Mm. And that's it, it. That's what great drama is. Right. It's lean and it's dynamic and it's constantly moving forward. Um, we would do focus groups when we were developing episodes and we would see that, that especially the younger kids, that they they needed the story to keep moving forward. And mm. um, and I think that's really important. It's why I. I, and I sound like, a, and I'm kind of a rube sometimes about it, but I'm very suspicious of long shows. Like, the, you know, I don't, some of them, you know, Angels in America, obviously, sure, you know, sure. <laughs> that's long for a reason and, yeah. and it doesn't, and it doesn't feel long. Um, but, uh, you know, and I've learned this on CBS Sunday morning too, that shorter is harder and, and it's usually better. Not always. Sometimes you start cutting into bone and that's bad. Mm. Then then it's the audience is just left wanting more in a bad way. Mm. But I learned that. Um, I also learned um, that it's scary writing. And but I was getting paid a decent amount. And I was lucky that I had a friend who was really nurturing, who was my boss, because I choked at the beginning. I was sort mm. of I, I would I would turn in drafts that weren't very good and she gave me some real tough love and i learned to push through the first episode i wrote for wishbone was an adaptation of hg wells's time machine and i wrote it on new year's eve on an all-nighter i pushed through on you know the new year's eve i think 1995 or 94 i think 95 Hmm. and you know it's like um when you walk through a storm (laughs) you'll never (laughs) walk alone but but i i learned that things are creative things and i think it probably goes for performances it certainly goes for scripts that they suck 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 suck, and then they're good Mm -hmm. it's like that last five percent you just you cannot um become pessimistic you cannot despair you just have to push through (laughs) and and it will come together if you if if you keep if you keep at it, mm. but, but scripts are oftentimes incoherent and lousy to read. It's why you should protect your material and not show it until you're ready, yeah. which is an, also another thing I learned, but it, it will, it's that last five, maybe three, maybe even 2% that, that makes a difference, but you have to keep going. What is your self-talk in that moment? Is it now just to cut, you know, you're accustomed to that, or is there a particular self-talk you have to just plow through to be a finisher? It is, I've been here before, I've been here before, and it's turned out well. That's the self-talk. And, and it's the value of keeping a diary, I think, which I don't do enough of anymore. But you can go back and go, yeah, I was really down in the dumps there. But then look what happened on the next page. Things turned around. So that's, that's the self-talk there, which is, I've been there before. Mm. And, and I think that probably goes in, I'm, I'm luckily not someone who suffers from depression, but, and 
you know, I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't pretend to, to coach anyone on how to deal with, with something like that. But I suspect that in down moods, which I've certainly had, you know, that it, 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 it's the same thing, which is I've been this sad about X before mm-hmm. and it gets better. I mean, so, mm-hmm. but yeah, but that's the self-talk is I've been here before. There was that project back in 2002 and yeah, it was really, really terrible until it turned around and got good, but it had to get, it had to be terrible before it got good. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another Curiosity Conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening.